0: Welcome to ResTalk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the ResTalk podcast. It's our goal at ResTalk to communicate late-breaking news and thoughtful insights about a broad array of topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings to all the stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. So whether you're a housing consumer, rater, builder, realtor, or appraiser, you'll want to hear more about the evolving trends in home energy ratings. What does CO2e mean? What are the impacts of time and location on energy use and production? And how and why are we morphing from energy as a proxy for emissions? We're joined on today's podcast by David Goldstein, Energy Co-Director at the Natural Resources Defense Council, or NRDC, and John Taylor. Deputy Director of the Consortium for Energy Efficiency, or CEE. They'll discuss a new tool that ResNet has under development, the CO2E Index. Now, the ResNet CO2E Index is among the first in the world to more accurately estimate emissions by accounting for the hour of day and month of the year at which electricity is consumed. And it uses the incremental effect that the building has on usable, renewable energy and fossil fuel emissions calculated over the long term. Now, David will describe for us how a carbon dioxide equivalent, or CO2 equivalent, abbreviated as CO2E, is used to compare the emissions from various greenhouse gases based on their global warming potential, or GWP. And this is by converting the amounts of other gases to the equivalent amount of carbon dioxide with the same GWP. Now, since the ResNet-HERS index already looks at energy pattern usage by hour of the day, over the year... It is a straightforward task to translate the energy profile into an emissions profile if you have the data that underlie these figures. Now, John will help us understand the aspects of data in the model. The new ResNet CO2E Index allows one to calculate the comparative emissions, say, of two houses. For example, you can look at the emissions from a new house with or without energy efficiency and solar to see how much changes like electrification and clean energy can help. As a result of this all these changes, there are actually no changes to the ResNet HERS rating process. It is more a function of software changes. You can take a look in the show notes to some press and some links and conference presentations on this topic to learn more. Let me uh, turn it over now to David and John so we can learn more about ResNet CO2E Index. Today we have two guests together will be presenting on the topic of ResNet's new CO2E index. We have David Goldstein and John Taylor. David, could you first introduce yourself to the audience?
2: Sure. I've been an advocate for energy efficiency ever since 1975, and I'm currently working at the Natural Resources Defense Council. As part of my work, I'm on the board of both ResNet and the Consortium for Energy Efficiency. So I've worked with both organizations for at least 20 years. so I'm delighted to be talking about this item of mutual
1: interest. Very good and welcome John first time on the podcast.
3: Yeah, thank you for having me. My name is John Taylor. I serve as the deputy director of the Consortium for energy efficiency and oversee all of our program initiatives and um, equally committed to the expansion of energy efficiency programs to tackle the pressing matters of the day, particularly decarbonization of the utility systems. Sees is a U.S. and Canadian consortium of gas and electric utility program administrators. And we really strive to work together to accelerate the development and availability of high efficiency products and services. And increasingly today, as you're going to hear, the definition of energy efficiency is expanding. And we need to leverage these programs to really go after the times and locations where congestion exists. And that may be the trigger for more carbon intensive fuel sources. So we see Actually, these programs being a really big opportunity to tackle that decarbonization objective.
1: Very interesting. Something perhaps maybe more intimate to energy Raiders who may be listening to this podcast. CE has a product listing, is that correct?
3: Yes, we do maintain a list of qualified products that are high efficiency and also connected and capable of doing some smart things that benefit customers and benefit the grid.
1: Very good. So it's a pretty interesting organization. I will definitely put links to both NRDC and CEE. And the show notes for anyone who wants to follow up a little bit further. So the topic of discussion today is ResNet's new carbon rating index. David, I'd like to give you a chance to explain where did this get started? Well, this
2: came from a number of sources, Bill. What we realize is that the customers for HERS ratings include utilities who are beginning to care a lot more about, as John was saying, the time at which electricity is used, not just how much is used. And also, many of these utilities, increasing numbers, have carbon goals, carbon reduction goals that they've either chosen out of corporate responsibility or have had imposed on them by their regulators or both. And you can't manage what you can't measure. Now, raters will recognize that HERS ratings have always had a statement about pollution outputs, and carbon dioxide pollution has been one of them. But they have been calculated using a method that's now obsolete, which is You look at the total utility grid in the country. You look at what the sources of energy are and how much is the emissions from each source. That worked when we had a system that was primarily base load and staying the same. Now we've got a system that in many cases is approaching 50% renewable for the West Coast, for example, in both countries and actually higher in, in Canada. And you have first of all, requirements for renewables in a majority of states and a number of provinces. And those affect how a building will impact emissions. Because if you're on a grid that's 95% coal, but the cheapest new source is solar, then your utility is going to be installing more solar in response to your house needing more electricity. And so the calculation has to be revised to account for that. In particular, it has to be revised to account for the fact that solar is a variable resource. It's predictable usually, at least a few hours in advance, but it's variable. So how much energy you consume at 8 p.m., on the fourth day of a hot spell, well, that's going to be much more emissive because the utility's got everything they can hook up to the grid running, including dirty resources that aren't economic to operate unless you have to keep the lights on. Conversely, if you're in the Midwest and it's 3 a.m., the wind's blowing really hard, there's plenty of renewable energy, and using another kilowatt hour has almost no impact on carbon at all. So the ResNet Index takes that into account by using a database developed by the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, NREL, that looks hour by hour, month by month, at what the emissions are for each of 20 regions within the United States where they have different mutually connected grids. And ResNet provides instructions about how to use those inputs in order to create a carbon index from information that's already in the system. So for raters, this does not require you to do anything. This requires software designers to replace the obsolete method of calculating carbon emissions with a good one, and to express it in an index that looks just like the hers index, which is the ratio of how well your house does compared to 100 as the base case. So this is an output that as a rater, you will have available to share with your customers and their utilities if you want.
1: John, if you could help us understand how is this developed, what data underlines and feeds into this?
3: Yeah, well, I think we are in the business of crystal ball gazing about what assets are going to get taken online. And so this is forecasting. We're trying to understand when are the clean assets going to be deployed and when will the less clean assets be deployed. And so that's a dynamic situation that we take very seriously in terms of this endeavor. But we do have some insights on what time of the day, what time of the year certain assets are dependable, and when we have times where we have more of a reliability challenge or congestion on the grid. And so I think what we've really seen with this data is the ability to anticipate as best we can when those pinch points are going to be from a carbon perspective. And I think what is potentially very exciting is the extent to which... The utility interest and reliability and least cost resource planning concludes that the time of carbon intensity is also the time where we don't have quite enough generation assets available. And so if we're giving customers through this asset rating a clear signal, and raters are obviously critical to this, if we're giving customers a clear signal, do your best to develop a home that has flexibility that can avoid those worst times. Yeah, that should be really good for decarbonization. It also should take pressure off the grid, which should have the impact of lowering costs and the risk of reliability issues on the grid. There should be a good correlation between those two things. And that's when we're validating right now.
2: When you're rating a new building, you can count on it being around for 100 years plus. If you're rating an existing building, no one's going to spend the money on a rating if they don't expect that building to be long-lived enough justify the payback on doing a retrofit. So one of the technical solutions we rely on from the NREL database is looking at future emissions out to a reasonably foreseeable period of time. Because if you optimize a building for lowering emissions in 2024, and then you've got it out of design for every year following that, you've made a mistake. So what the Reset Index does is it looks at the years 2025 through 2050 and takes a weighted average, weighted towards the present, of what all those numbers are. So the idea that you can think about is the world has a goal of stopping climate change at 1.5 degrees. In order to achieve that goal, it's not an easy goal to achieve, but I believe it is achievable and it's actually cheaper to do that than doing business as usual. But if we achieve that, everyone's got to do their part. So the utilities have got to acquire more renewable resources or get regulatory permission to do it. We need to incentivize renewables. So how do we want to plan our buildings? We need to plan for success. We need to, in this industry, do what we can to be part of a solution. And we're betting that everyone else is doing what they can as well. But you got to pick some assumption. And I think planning for success is the best way to do it. So we're looking at a scenario that has very substantial growth in renewable energy, but not the extreme case of what we could do, because maybe that's not the world we're going to be facing. At any rate, by picking a fixed period of time, we're assuring that, sort of like the HERS index, the CO2 rating index does not change radically from year to year. So if you do a rating this year, and someone comes back and does the same rating in five years, they should get approximately the same answer or maybe even exactly the same answer.
1: So with the database that's used in to calculate the CO2 index, is that something too that will be fixed? I think that's what you're saying?
2: The database is frozen at the current. There were significant upgrades between 2021 and 2022. And ResNet is finalizing its ANSI standard 301 to account for those updates. But the plan is we will freeze those numbers for a significant number of years, call it five, in order to keep this harmonization. It'll be an interesting question. If we can improve it by 5%, is that worth doing? Or is the interest of stability more important?
1: Got it. And Uh, I'm not sure which one of you might know the answer to this, but I suppose the home design and its assets impact the number that comes out, the rating index?
2: Well, that's the reason why we're doing it. The point of a rating is so the rater can give advice to the builder or the homeowner or, or occupant of what are the best ways to improve your score at the least cost. So the kinds of technologies and advances that the rating will encourage is first of all, demand flexibility. If you've got end uses that can be controlled and CE has world's leading specs, as far as I've been able to see, on what that means and how you do it, then that will improve your CO2 rating index. And we do intend to be expanding the number of technologies you can model and the accuracy, meaning we start off not very generous and then we move to greater and greater accuracy. Of how much credit you get for these technologies. As John mentioned, not coincidentally, the same things that you do to improve the CO2 rating index will reduce the costs that utilities have to pay to serve their load. Actually, the cost reduction will be even greater. So this gives advice on things that you can do that will be win-wins for everyone. Second thing you can do by and large we haven't tested this thoroughly is switch from gas heating to a heat pump that may not be true in all climate zones in all grids in all houses because we haven't tested it but the places we have in some grids there's a very mild incentive towards electrification and in other grids that are very clean there's a very large incentive but the point of this from my perspective from ResNet's perspective, is we don't want to say, here's the right answer. We want to say, here's an index that will let you pick the right answer for your home. So we're not presupposing that the heat pump is the right answer for everyone. We're saying that here's an index that measures carbon, and oh, when you use it, it turns out that in more cases than not, and maybe in almost all cases, we don't know, you'll get a better score using a high efficiency cold weather heat pump.
3: Bill, what I was going to add is, David makes a good example with the heat pump. What's also important for Raiders to know is these technologies are available. Now they're not widely, I don't want to overstate, but if you think about a programmable or communicating thermostat, whether it be Nest or Ecobee or any of the other manufacturers put these out. Those products have two way communication. They have control capability. They have data exchange. They can give almost telemetry to the asset in the field relative to this database we're describing. That's also true for heat pump water heaters that have the ability to think of them as an energy storage device. Heat pumps and air conditioners that can flex and pre-cool or preheat in some cases. Pool pumps that have flexibility. There are, it's a new generation of products really riding the coattails of the Internet of Things to create other new amenities for customers. But the ability for products to respond and convey information in a way that's consistent and enabling of what this vision for the CO2 index is, is growing and exciting. And that's why we looked at this as a really important opportunity of how do we give recognition and to those leaders in the market who made the investment to make these products smart, communicating, good for the customer, good control functions, but also flexible in terms of decarbonization objectives.
1: Would there actually be some kind of rating that would it be looking upon on the list that C E produces, or is there a mark on the product somehow?
3: We're in development and how this is going to be market-facing. I think the way, certainly Energy Star is playing a role here that's helpful. I'll acknowledge DPA there. What we're doing is really giving our members, the folks who run these incentive programs, the tools to say which products offer that functionality. Here's the specification. Here's the minimum communication technology you need. Here are the open standards that are acceptable. Here's how this thing can actually modulate energy consumption. How that is manifest in the market right now and who's promoting those, that's evolving real time. And I think it's coming with this exact ResNet realization that we've got to get more sophisticated in how we promote the best quote unquote assets. And right now, we're just in the business saying, here are the products that we have validated to meet our specifications, not just for energy efficiency, which is not going away. Traditional energy savings is still powerful, that's almost the base load power plant aspect. But these ones that also can shape or shift energy use because they have the enabled capability. How customers, utilities, aggregators, other trades make use of that functionality. That's the future we're trying to realize right now in Enable.
2: John's also pointed out an expansion of services that this offers the raters potentially as we develop the algorithms. And that is he mentioned products like pool pumps that are not included in the ResNet ratings right now. And I'd mention electric cars as another example of that. While we still won't, I think, count Those two end uses in HERS ratings, you can get credit for the delta that they cause in time of use, given the things that we are accounting for. And so, if you have an EV charger that is optimized to discharge at the right times and charge at the right times, that would be something you can take credit for in the future on the CO2 rating index, even though we're still not going to cover the driving energy or the pool heating energy.
1: Very interesting. It, that makes total sense in this. I think the big thing I'm taking from this is the next phase of improvements in energy efficiency is time and location for many different factors. Before we began the podcast recording here, you spoke that you have presented together in this topic. Can you give me an idea of the venues, that the folks or the organizations that are finding this topic of interest? John?
3: Sure. Certainly, we convene our members multiple times a year We have committees dedicated to new construction and existing homes, and ResNet's a tried and true tool and programs just trying to promote high-efficiency homes. This is not a ground zero for our industry. Those who are running programs, promoting efficiency, know and love and value ResNet and have for many years. They are under pressure to deliver on an expanded array of objectives, chief of which is decarbonization without compromising on things like affordability and reliability. And so as our members think about the next generation of customer-facing programs that have incentives or financing, just helping be a credible energy advisor to the customer, really our shared customer the Raiders, this is a tool that they have tremendous interest in. And we expect it will not be limited just to residential. I don't want to speak for ResNet and their scope, but I mean, in terms of the, what this is demonstrating as proof of concept, this can be relevant for commercial buildings. This will be relevant for a number of areas in which we get this more targeted and how we run programs to support customers using energy use wisely in a way that aligns with their
1: environmental stewardship objectives. I'm thinking David might have the answer to this. Is there anything else like this going on in the world?
2: quick answer is we don't thoroughly know. But yes, ASHRAE is looking at this from a number of different perspectives that hopefully don't disharmonize too much from each other. But their standard 189.1 is looking at a procedure that while not identical to the ResNet CO2 index, is very, very similar. It makes all the same policy choices for the same reasons. And that will be out for public review, I don't know, maybe within a year. I'm working on an international organization for standardization committee, net zero standard. And from what we see, many countries other than Canada are talking about net zero carbon as being much preferable of an index to net zero energy. But the math that they're using to calculate it undercuts that claim because they're using annual average emissions factors as ResNet used to use. And the problem with that is it doesn't matter what the annual factor is, zero times anything is zero. So they're really not doing anything different at all. The people who developed the database at NREL have talked to their peers in a few other countries and they can't find anyone else who's doing anything similar right now. So I think what that means is ResNet may well be the first standard of its type anywhere in the world and hopefully can be a framework around which we can come close to harmonizing standards, not just in the U.S. and Canada, but everywhere.
1: Thank you both for answering these last two questions. Actually, let to make sure. Thank you. Thank the
2: guests. Oh, they're fun questions.
1: Good. The CO2e. Can you focus on why the E is there? What does the E mean?
2: It's funny, internationally, everyone uses the word carbon, not to mean carbon, but to mean greenhouse gases. Carbon is only about 70, 80% of greenhouse gas. So it's the big kahuna, but it's not the whole story. What we do in the CO2E index is we capture the major greenhouse gas emissions that are not carbon related, but are relevant to a residential building. So at the moment, the biggest of those is methane, which is a very potent greenhouse gas, and leaks from the gas distribution system. This is already counted implicitly in the NREL database when you look at what's the impact of greenhouse gas from a gas-burning power plant. So in order to be fuel neutral, we had to say, all right, now we have got to count that on the residential and commercial, if anyone uses it that way, distribution system. So those are the two main gases that we count right now. In the future, it is conceivable we'll count the fluid in your heat pump system and air conditioner because those are greenhouse gases. But the problem is we can't do that now because if the fluid remains in the air conditioner or heat pump, there's no pollution at all. It's only when they leak. But there's a problem and there's no good data that a rater can use on what the leakage rate is going to be.
1: Yeah, that can be so variable over time, over region, that kind of thing. So the carbon index, how will this be deployed? What will it look like for the consumer, whether it's a utility? There's a simplified presentation of this. I think you mentioned earlier 100 is considered the reference home. What is the basis for the reference home? It's
2: pretty much identical to what's already been used in the HERS index. The only difference is the HERS index selects the same fuel choice for heating and water heating as your proposed design. And if you do that, you've neutralized the ability to answer the question which is better, a furnace or a heat pump. So we pick an electric heat pump home as the reference case for both heating and water heating. Otherwise, it's identical to the HERS index. Thus, for an all electric home, the HERS index and the CO2E rating index will be very close to each other. They may not be identical because the time of use is going to enter into this and skew the reference case a little compared to the proposed design, but we don't even know which direction or when. So it'll be similar. For gas, it's similar in some climates and it isn't in others.
1: This is a process or a standard that's under development. How long has it been under development And in- Is there an official launch date?
2: Yes, it got started at least four years ago because I remember presenting on this at the ResNet Live conference and it wasn't the first time. But the board acted on this about two years ago, maybe three, and set up a task group that would make recommendations to SDC 300 for revisions to standard 301. So right now, this is already part of existing ResNet standards, and it's available to the rater as soon as all the software companies have compliant software. The ANSI standard version is on a slightly slower track because there are more rigorous public review requirements for the ANSI standard. So right now, in ResNet talk, it's between MinHERS and ANSI, but within hopefully four months, six months, it'll be part of the ANSI standard as
1: well. Is this the kind of standard that's available for review or preview?
2: Yes. Since it's already part, I guess I'm getting ahead of my knowledge about where the standards process is within ResNet. I believe it either is or will very shortly be part of the public review draft of an addendum to uh, NC301.
1: Okay. I will check with that because that's very well stated on the ResNet standards page on their site.
2: Also, there is, I believe the presentation that John and I made at the virtual conference this year should still be available to resident members.
1: That is correct. The virtual session, I'll also put a link in to the virtual session too for those people that have passes to the virtual session. Wrapping this up, and I'll give John a chance to go first, what's really the main thrust the listeners should take away from this? And perhaps how will it impact their work. It sounds like if it's a Raider, it's according to David, it's not much work, not much change.
3: I think there's a really important takeaway that what we value in terms of energy efficiency is evolving. And that's exciting. It's because of progress in cleaning up our grid that that's true. But we are evolving along with the needs of that grid. And that's not just limited to the CO2 index. That's a reflection of what we're going to to do with buildings in the US and Canada worldwide, frankly, when it comes to flexibility. When I look at the index specifically, it's been such a successful quantitative tool and frankly, a marketing tool for helping simplify this to customers and raters play a critical role in that simplification. I think one of the remaining important conversations we're having within the committee is, and with utilities, think about using this as a tool is, how will we use this to market investment in one's home in a way that's going to deliver the outcomes we want? The technical standards in great shape. I think we are excited about the prospects of making this a marketing tool that has credibility behind it. And that's probably where you're going to see the next update is, here's how we would communicate this to customers effectively in concert with what utilities and others are telling them. And hopefully that makes a really big impact in the minds of the customer.
1: Very good. Communication is always key. Clear communications, in which is talking about a pretty technically intense area, but I think some of the things we talked about today helped to break that down and we'll continue to do that through the marketing efforts that you described there, John. David, any kind of closing takeaways?
2: In the past, we've always used energy as a proxy for a number of things. Until recently, the most of them that we cared about really were costs and emissions. And we've had that as part of the supporting material in Hers ratings for a long time. The methods that have been used in the past aren't as accurate for the future because we start getting some divergences. We start seeing cases and batteries are a perfect example where putting in a battery makes your HERS score worse, but it makes your CO2 rating better and it helps the utility to save costs, which will eventually get passed on or not in your rate structure. So this is the first step in saying, well, if you're worried about emissions, we now can calculate them accurately, essentially for free as part of a rating report. We have it on our to-do list if we can get support from uh, DOE or EPA to come up with a cost index that's also time of use. And the variation there, if you use energy at the right time, you can save 80% of carbon, but you can save 99.9% of costs if you pick the right hour to do it at. So that's an important thing. HRS rating is still important, as we found out in the West Coast, when areas have been blacked out for a number of days, or found out in Puerto Rico, where they were blacked out for months. And what the capacity of your battery is, is an important criterion. You get a better HERS rating, and your house can last longer, and with solar maybe indefinitely, on stored energy, even when some natural disaster happens. So I think we're evolving towards three indices being presented by ResNet. The existing one, the new CO2 rating index, and a to-be-developed cost rating index, such as they have in California for code compliance, even though it's not publicly disclosed. So I think this will succeed to the extent that the ResNet community, raters, everyone, Is saying, hey, we've got something new that will satisfy a need, maybe a need that you didn't even realize you had. So, as we generate excitement, we'll generate support. And with new products like this, there's a real snowball cascading effect that the more people use this, the better it's going to get and the more helpful it's going to be in terms of the services that ratings can provide.
1: Excellent. And thank you for providing some insight into what may be coming down the road in the future gentlemen. I really want to thank you for coming on the podcast to talk about the new CO2E index. And again, in the show notes, we'll have some links to folks that get interested in this to follow up and do some research on their own. I suspect we'll be having one or both of you back to talk more about this in the future. Look forward to it. Great. I'd be delighted. Thank you, David. Thank you, John. Well, thank you for listening to this podcast. In our discussion about learning more about the ResNet CO2E Index. John and David are among some of the great guests we have on the Res Talk podcast, time after time. If you're a pro in the building market, surf on over to resnet.us professional to learn more or join the email list. And you can also find ResNet on Facebook or Twitter. A quote for today by Andy Dunn, an American businessman, Passion provides purpose, but data drives decisions. If you're interested in feeding back to ResNet on what you heard here today or would like to hear a new topic covered or just have a general question, please send an email to info at resnet.us. If you've not subscribed already, please do so. And as always, thank you for listening to ResTalk.
0: Take care. Thanks for listening to the ResTalk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for Res Talk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes or the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on RezTalk.